in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So last week, we played recordings of people who were doing their thing when Chris O'Brien was a mere, what, seven years old? Yep. <laughs> yeah, about. And today, you're off on the road again, but you're 200, I am. You're 200 yards from a cell tower. Yeah, we're, we're lucky. Uh, one of the most beautiful overlooks in America with the BBC, a uh, very interesting group of folks. Uh, we're having a lively debate about uh, the animal death, um, unexplained livestock death phenomenon, and uh, the shoot has gone on twice as long as it was supposed to. I guess I must be... Uh, tweaking them somehow if they want to keep me uh, four hours instead of two, but that's, uh, that's okay. That show business, it never takes the amount of time <laughs> that you predict. Yep, that's, boy, isn't that the case. So last week, amongst all the characters you were listening to on all those clips that we got from Bob Zanotti, who was your favorite? Well, you know, the whole Mystic Barber uh, <laughs> scenario to me was, was quite intriguing. I think they all had uh, some really good entertainment value. I'm not sure what to make of of uh, some of the accounts. I think if if they had come forward today, they wouldn't have gotten you know near the the traction that they did back in the day. But but uh, I found it fascinating because it really gives us a uh, a good uh, sense of kind of the wild west of ufology uh, in the late 50s, early 60s when when I think ufology was in this transitional uh, phase of true believers and contacteeism and people from Mars and Venus, and, and all of a sudden it, it started to take on a little different feel. And uh, I think that those years, especially during the early to mid-60s, really give us, I think, some really good insight into how this whole field and you know people's uh, recognition of the phenomenon, how it's, how it's developed over time. And, and there was a, a sense of innocence and a a sense of, you know, the suspension of disbelief back back then that, uh, you know, I think uh, is echoed today, but uh, I don't think those stories would have really gained much traction uh, in, in this day and age. I was interested in hearing the story that Yona was telling about the early years of the Borderland Sciences Research Associates, strictly because that was an organization that in the 1940s was talking about 4D. Long before we were talking about 4D UFOs, they did it first, and we don't even hear yeah. about them anymore. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a name that uh, just barely kind of rings a bell in my mind. But yeah, uh, some of these early 50s organizations, uh, and there were quite a number of them, too, uh, for our listeners to uh, uh, you know, do a little research. I think you'll be amazed at how, you know, this subject was much more mainstream, I think, back in those years. And you didn't have the real mark demarcation uh, and and the compartmentalization that you have today. I think everything was sort of lumped together, and and it was such a new and emerging you know proto science or even a proto belief system that the things were a lot less nailed down back then, and and uh, it just seemed wilder and woolier. You know, in looking over what we can find online, there is an organization called Borderland Sciences Research Foundation that actually considers itself the descendant of the original Borderland Sciences Research Associates. How about that? Wow, that's news to me. It's right here. 
It claims to have been the organization founded by Mead Lane in 1945 for the purpose of investigating into realms normally beyond the range of basic human perception and physical measurement. Today, Borderlands Sciences continues to be the premier information resource for discerning scholars and advanced researchers on the frontiers of science and awareness. I'll tell you, just because of the background of this organization, I think we should get them on. I think it's a great idea. I mean, you know, they're going into the normal stuff, free energy, Tesla, radionics, subtle energy, therapeutic light, water research. Fascinating. Mm. I don't know if I Very, buy all this uh, yeah, stuff. Well, be a, I think a great, great, uh, someone from their organization would make a great guess, I think. Well, I'm going to write them and see what kind of answers I get. The site is very elementary, you know, really not that much of a site. But I'm going to write them and see if they are interested in possibly coming on the PowerCast and also talking about all the stuff that went on through the years about their research. See where it goes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Let's do it. Fascinating discovery. There's also a ghost hunters organization in Vermont that's indicated the desire to come on the PowerCast and talk about some of their research up there. And I was looking at their site, this particular organization, and they have a fascinating collection of equipment, scientific equipment. Yeah, I'd be interested to find out more. Well, it's called the Paranormal Investigators of New England, or Pine, and they've been featured on different TV shows. And so I'm talking with the founders, that's Jeff Stewart and Diane Stewart, and we're going to see what they have to offer and perhaps they'll be on a future episode of the PowerCast. Now, speaking of the past, you know, when we think about ufology, the UFO field, and how we got to where we are today, we think about some of the early stories, the early reports. Now, of course, we look at, for example, Roswell. But Roswell, we didn't hear about in the early days. You know, we heard, well, rumors of maybe uh, some UFO crashes here and there. But Roswell, the story didn't come out until, what, the late 1970s with Bill Moore, with Charles Berlitz, with Stan Friedman. Before then, we never heard of Roswell. It's like full-blown, suddenly we have this mystery, Lane dormant for, what, 30 years, suddenly comes to the fore. And there's a reason why I'm going to mention that. But certainly before we even do that, we've done a number of shows on Roswell. Our listeners say, we don't want to do any more shows on Roswell. And we're not going to do a show on Roswell today, by the way. But every time we do a show on Roswell, it's one of our highest rated episodes. What is the fascination about UFO crashes in the 1940s? Because that takes us to our show today. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to... Uh... So receiving the book, I was hoping to get a copy of uh, Scott Ramsey's book before uh, before he came on the show. But I think uh, I think he's going to be able to get us up to speed on on almost a ten year process that he's undergone in writing this book. Um, Let's backtrack here. I, what we're talking about here is a book called The Aztec Incident: Recovery at Heart right. Canyon. And this is not Roswell. This is the Aztec UFO case, and this is the case that has been the poor stepchild to Roswell, because even people who accept Roswell as being something genuine, something real, do not generally accept Aztec, although obviously Stanton Friedman does, because he wrote the foreword to the book. Well, this should be interesting. Yes, it's unfortunate that we didn't get a copy of the book. It's not a big volume. It's 212 pages. There's a 30-page excerpt. 
online at their site, Aztec, the AztecIncident.com, and you get a background of what the book is about. And obviously, this all started with an early UFO book, Behind the Flying Saucers, written in 1950 by a guy named Frank Scully. Now, Frank Scully was a gossip columnist who worked for Variety. So, of course, we have the stench of being a gossip columnist. I don't even think they have gossip columnists anymore. Yeah, it's called the mainstream media, Gene. <laughs> we have that, you know. So today the gossip columnists work for MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, ABC, CBS, NBC. They no longer... <laughs> In the White House. <laughs> a few of those two. It started there with Scully's book, and some people said, well, this guy is just a show business writer. Why do you take the guy seriously? Of course, we also elected an actor for president, so, I mean, what's the difference? But yeah. there was a lot of dispute about this subject. But despite that, Scott Ramsey has spent years and incredible amounts of money investigating it. There's also a love story involved because he met his wife, Suzanne, during his investigation. This is a fascinating story, neighbors. I can't say whether we buy it or we disbelieve Let's take a few seconds to pull this off. If you want to get in touch with us, there are several ways. One is to write us, news at thepowercast.com. Once again, that's news at thepowercast.com. On Twitter, we are thepowercast, at thepowercast on Twitter. If you want to send us a tweet, the Aztec incident coming next. You're in the Paracast. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. American gardeners and fellow patriots make the right choice with your money, time, and your family food supply. Choose 100% pure heirloom seeds in the Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com. Why spend more? The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com is only $37.95 and includes 20 varieties of pure, hardy, easy-to-grow heirloom seeds. Yes, only $37.95. That's 70% less than our competitors. You could buy three Survival Seed Vaults for less than one of theirs. The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com includes detailed planting and seed saving instructions and ships same day. Plus, all orders over $49 ship free. MyPatriotSupply.com is American owned by patriots like you, passionate about freedom and preparedness. Call now, 866-229-0927. That's 866-229-0927. Or discover more emergency preparedness items when you order at MyPatriotSupply.com. Choose the original. Choose the Survival Seed Vault at MyPatriotSupply.com. 
Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget... CrossbreedHolsters.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We have Scott and Suzanne Ramsey. They are two of the authors of the book, The Aztec Incident. And they have two other people who work with them, Dr. Frank Thayer. And, of course, our old friend Frank Warren. Scott and Suzanne, welcome to the PowerCast. Well, thanks for having us. Now, this book has been a long time coming, and I know when people do projects, and it could be a book, it could be a novel, it could be a movie, it could be a website or a software program, it always takes longer than you predict. So one fast question before we go on and frame the history of Aztec, why the long gestation period? Well, it, it took over six years, a lot of reasons. We, we, we kept doing a layout of the book. We'd have a three-ring binder where we would had all the chapters in, and as we learned things, we added things and researched more, then we'd add that as well. It just seems like every time we got to the point where Suzanne said, okay, it's a wrap, let's, let's really sit down and get the editing done, get the pictures in, we'd get another lead. And so that just delayed it. And actually, as the book was being printed, we have two incredible leads we need to follow up on. But luckily, at this point, we had just kind of drawn a line in the sand and said, look, stop. We have to get the book going. Now, the other thing here, of course, is being taken seriously, because if something is, as they say in the software business, vapor, it's hard for people to take seriously. But you get the book out there. Now, having more information, would you do a second edition? Would you do a book, too? What would be the game plan? I don't know, Gene. You sound exhausted from this. 
25 years on this thing at some point. I, I may have to move on. I don't know. Maybe have somebody pick up the ball. It's been a lot of fun. We have no regrets. But we, we actually thought about doing another book, kind of a spinoff of the Aztec incident. We were talking to the Air Force Archives. There's really nobody that's done a complete book on Operation Paperclip. So we, we thought maybe, you know, kicking around an idea about doing one of that. Really good idea. Tell our listeners who are familiar with the inside baseball, Operation Paperclip, what was that? Operation Paperclip was right after, well, actually doing a little research, we found it was actually starting right before the end of World War II, where the United States was in a race with the Soviets to get some of the brightest German scientists that worked in many different fields. Obviously, the, the most obvious was the rocket program, human medicine, just to name a few, and we were in a race with the Soviets after the war to get them out of Germany and get them over here to help us with our space program. And during the interview with British intelligence or the OSS, if um, they had an index card with a, a brief amount of information on the scientist, and if we thought that you were a valuable asset, they'd put a paper clip on your index card and you would leave the room and go down one hall. If we felt that you were a war criminal or you really brought nothing to the party, no paper clip was put on your index card and you exited through another hallway where you were either executed out in the courtyard or turned over for the Nuremberg trials. So you definitely wanted to be part of the paper clip. You wanted to be paper clipped, otherwise you have a problem. Yeah, Huntsville, Alabama, Las Cruces, New Mexico, or the gallows at Nuremberg, uh, that was pretty much your choice. Let's go back to Aztec. Okay. Now, in the case of Roswell, we really didn't hear much about it until the 1970s when Bill Moore and Stanton Friedman and Charles Burlitz got involved. Yes, there was that original story about recovering something at Roswell, possibly a flying saucer, but then they denied it, said it was just a balloon, and most people forgot about it. But with Aztec, we heard about the thing early on because Aztec was a key subject of the book Behind the Flying Saucers by Frank Scully, which came out, what, in 1950? And that book sold a lot of copies. It probably sold more copies than most UFO books combined today. Did you have any information about the sales figures? Yeah, just in the U.S. alone, 64,000 copies plus, according to Henry Hoyt and Company. We know it was printed in India. We know it was printed, some was printed in Hebrew in Israel. Uh, we have no total count. There were licensing agreements with Henry Hoyt and Company, even a paperback version of the book. It could be seventy-five, eighty thousand books by the time it's said and done. Now, I wrote a lot of books about computers and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and I made a little bit of money. I think one of my books sold fifty or sixty thousand copies. That was in the years I was making real money. But when it comes to UFO yeah. books, I mean, you're lucky to sell two or three thousand. I had lunch with Bill Steinman back last June, and halfway through lunch, he said, how many books are you actually going to print? This is a print-on-demand book. This is a POD book. And what this means, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, is that you go to a printer, and you can print as little or as many as you need, and the price is a sliding scale. But the equipment is almost like a glorified high-energy, high-resolution copying machine as opposed to a traditional print press. Yep, exactly. And when I told Bill Steinman, who was the author, co-author of uh, UFO Crash at Aztec that was released in October of 87, 
a thousand, his eyes about popped out. He said, are you crazy? And I said, do you think too many? He said, yeah, I think you're safe at about 500. And he and Wendell Stevens did a thousand. He said, boy, when we got out of the project, we had hundreds of books that we sold to George Green, who now distributes the book, and now it's a very good seller because all the renewed interest in Aztec. But we we did a thousand. They printed. They do plus or minus plus or minus ten percent. We ended up with eleven hundred books, and we're happy to say they're selling very well. Let's take a look at what happened with the story of Aztec. Now, okay, so Scully's book comes out, and the impression I get here is it wasn't taken so seriously even by people who were really serious UFO researchers. And then, of course, True Magazine, this men's magazine, not men in the sense of like Playboy with pictures of women undraped, but action, adventure, fiction, all sorts of things. They came out and they did what they felt was an exposure of the Aztec case. Why expose it? What did they find that they felt was incredible? Are you talking about the, you were breaking up a little bit, Ken Purdy, or were you talking about J.P. Kahn? Okay, Con? True Magazine, J.P. Kahn. Oh, that was J.P. Kahn, okay. I address that, Suzanne and I go into a lot of detail on that in the book. I, I think there was some some jealousy with uh, Kahn. I think Kahn was trying to finagle the story from Scully, from uh, Silas Newton, from Leo Gabauer, from different angles, and uh, I think when he, you know, he had left the Chronicle, but still had a desk there, the San Francisco Chronicle. I think by the time the dust settled and he didn't get the shot of a story that he thought the Chronicle or he himself was going to have, then I think he went negative on Scully. So your opinion here is that it wasn't the evidence that made him disbelieve, it was the loss of a possible book deal. Correct. So, Matter a case of, fact, of professional jealousy. I think so. Yeah, and I and I, I came to that conclusion. I flew out to San Francisco and actually met with Bob McClay, his best best friend. They worked at the Chronicle together. Uh, Bob McClay was in charge of his estate when he died. Bob McClay went over almost every day to the nursing home to see JP. I've got the last photograph in the book of JP. We'll get into more of JP Khan and about the early years of the Aztec UFO investigation. You're with Gene and Chris, with Scott and Suzanne Ramsey. You're in Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes... The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack 
of the Rockwells, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Love gardening but don't love seeing your hard work destroyed by wildlife? Then use the number one most effective deer and rabbit repellent you can buy, Plant Skid. Plant Skid repellent protects gardens, trees, and landscaping by emitting an odor that browsing animals associate with predators. So animals avoid plants before they nibble, not after. Plant Skid is made in the U.S. from non-toxic, 100% organic, environment, and pet-friendly ingredients. Other repellents wash off in the rain. Not Plant Skid. It's guaranteed to outlast all other repellents. Plant Skid was the first animal repellent to be OMRI listed organic and now comes in liquid spray, powder concentrate, or easy-to-use granular. Just sprinkle around your garden. For proven protection from deer, rabbits, squirrels, and other small rodents, use Plant Skid. Member tested and recommended by the National Home Gardening Club. Find a dealer near you at PlantSkid.com. That's PlantSkydd.com. Ask about our new vole repellent when you call 800-252-6051. That's 800-252-6051. Plant Skid, proven plant protection, guaranteed or your money back. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Then listen carefully, because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem guaranteed. He's helped thousands of people, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. And now another CentOS Game Changer with sports broadcaster Aaron Andrews. I'm here at my favorite car rental in sunny Miami. With me is the manager, Beth. I see your team has a new look for this season. Yeah, they just got uniforms, and my female employees are especially excited about the great styles. This flat-out wasn't an option when men's uniforms were the only choice. Well, it seems these young ladies are really hustling out here. What made the change for you? Yeah, well, our playbook hinged on one big detail. Women's workwear by CentOS. These clothes are designed by women for women. When they look good, they're happier and our guests notice. Well, judging by their extra effort, this team is going to the next level with Cintas uniforms. Let's go up to the booth for more. Finally, a line of women's workwear they want to wear. This is one of many expert services Cintas can tackle for your business. Don't settle for less. Call Cintas at 1-800-CINTAS6 or visit Cintas.com slash radio and tell them to bring in the team with the white truck. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? And what that means, by the way, is that we're probably one of the first shows out there to present Scott and Suzanne Ramsey and to talk about their new book, The Aztec Incident Recovery at Heart Canyon. So we have the strange case here of J.P. Kahn from True Magazine. He writes an expose of the Aztec incident. And your position, Scott, is that he didn't do it because he felt the case had no merit. He did it because he lost out on the book deal. I think so, yeah. In talking to Bob McClay, again, his his best friend, and uh, 
as as we're at lunch. And he said, when we get back to my house, I'll show you the book cover of J.P. Kahn's book that was coming out to do a rebuttal against Scully. And my, my mouth just fell open. I said, you got to be kidding me. How do you have the cover? And he said, because I did it for him. And Bob McClay, by the way, was the staff artist at the Chronicle. So we get back to his house, and he gave me, he pulls out the original artwork and said, here, here's the cover for the book. Now, and is this book going to be a pro-Aztec book or an anti-Aztec book? It was going to be, I think, an anti-Scully book. Because we don't have the guts of the book, that, that all got, unfortunately, that got dumped in the dumpster when J.P. Kahn died. But Bob kept the cover, the, the painting, uh, because that was his artwork. But I think the book wasn't going to be anti-Aztec. It was going to be anti-Frank Scully. Okay, so let's look at the specifics here. Now, just to acquaint our listeners with what's going on, in the 50s, Jim Mosley, Saucer News, he ran articles from J.P. Kahn and from Frank Scully about the subject. And certainly I recall Scully's piece, and even though he may have been a gossip columnist or whatever, he was pretty serious and straight ahead. That was my impression of him. Is it when you become a person who works in the entertainment publications, if you work for Today Entertainment Weekly or People magazine, suddenly you are less of a journalist as a result? I think that's how people are framing him. Okay, but now let's take a look here at the denials and the reasons for the denials. So, therefore, for so many years, nobody paid attention, or very few people paid attention to Aztec. What was their objection? Well, Scully's book comes out, and then the whole mix-up with Khan. Really, what that evolved into was fraud charges being brought up against Silas Newton and Leo Gaybauer, uh, for selling or allegedly selling a doodlebug machine to Herman Flater of Colorado, uh, claiming it would find oil, gas, gold, and probably get rid of your cold. Well, they're uh, still doing that, by the way, on TV, but nobody arrests them. But I know. I, I know. Now, I the key is here these are two sources cited by Scully in presenting I, what he claimed was evidence that the Aztec case took place and using their supposed fraudulent behavior as evidence to disbelieve them. Is that the case? What I think what happened with the Aztec case when charges were brought against Silas Newton and Leo Gaybauer, I think the credibility of Scully's story started to unravel. Okay, so therefore it's like if they lied here, they lied there. You can't take anything these guys say seriously. Exactly. And we go into great detail about the trial, uh, the fact that four federal judges wouldn't uh, take the case. They said There's, this is a civil case, not a criminal case. Uh, the fact that the the person in Colorado that finally listened to Flater that claimed he had been defrauded was a justice of the peace, and they went after him on that. So the baby got thrown out with the bathwater in that case, then... All, because of all of a sudden Scully's popularity of the book, it dragged the book right into it. So, in a sense, then, this case killed interest in the book, pretty much. Yes. Okay. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Now, like a guilt by association uh, scenario. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, let's take it to the next step here. Nobody else 
during this period, from 1948 through the time that people like you and Bill Steinman began to investigate Aztec, nobody came forth to say, hey, maybe there's some worthwhile information to be researched here? A gentleman out of Florida, Professor Carr, came out briefly and worked with Leo Stringfeld, uh, saying they had new evidence on the Aztec case, but Professor Carr would never name his sources, so the story died pretty quick. And none of the people that you talked to during your research, they never came forward and said anything? About? About Aztec. A lot of people that we talked to came forward about Aztec. But I'm saying before you got involved... No, no. Okay. No. All right. It, no, we had to, it was like pulling teeth trying to get people to give us information of what happened out there. Now, Steinman's book came out, what, in the 1980s, was it? 80, 80, October 87. Yeah. Okay. So this book from Steinman and Wendell Stevens comes out about Aztec. Where did they start with their research? How did they get hooked into this? Steinman was probably the catalyst. He had read Fred Frank Scully's book and could not understand why, as we were just talking about, the case died so quickly and the interest died over a simple civil case of two business people having a dispute with a third business person, uh, that being Silas Newton and Gaybauer and their dispute with Herman Flater. Uh, the, the, the part of the story we never hear about was the fact that Herman Flater had taken Silas Newton and Leo Gaybauer for a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, but you don't hear that side of the story. You had to go through the court records to hear that part. So here they, wow. they have a, a claim for 55000 that Flater does against these two for a doodlebug machine. And Newton says, hey, I loaned him $256,000 to be exact on his invention of a health machine, and we're going to market the two of them jointly. Um, you only hear one side of that story. All right. Now, having gone through that, how did you people go back to the sources and see what might have really happened in Aztec? Where's the beginning of this um, adventure? Mine was hearing about it on a business trip uh, about the same time Steinman's book was coming out, ironically, not knowing anything about I didn't I didn't even know Steinman's anything about Steinman's book for for years. Did you have an interest in um, UFOs at that time? I've I've always had an interest. Yeah, I have. And when I heard some people talking about going hunting out on Hart Canyon Road near an old crash site, my ears perked up. Not thinking it was a flying saucer crash site, more of a fighter plane or just an airplane. And I asked them more details, and they said oh, it's an old, you know town story about an old flying saucer either landed or crashed out on Hart Canyon Road. And having uh, an airline ticket that had me there over the weekend, uh, I had all day Saturday and Sunday and a rental car at my disposal, so I went out and tried to find this alleged crash site. And I just, just little bits and pieces I picked up. I picked up a lot of things that were negative, saying it never happened, but I kept picking up equal amount of bits and pieces from the locals that said, well, you know, yeah, we think it did happen. And go talk to so-and-so and go talk to so You know, finally I'm bouncing around like a pinball talking to various people. And this took a period of years. I'd go out there about every six weeks. The customer at the time turned into being a very good customer of mine. And so that put me out there about every six, seven weeks. Just a quick question here. What kind of business are you in? 
I have been in for 30 years uh, the electrical uh, application of manufacturing magnet wire. Uh, magnet wire is copper, aluminum, could be other specialty alloys, but it's to be, to be very basic, when you look at the windings of, a, of an electric motor or a generator or a transformer, the copper or aluminum winding wire, that's what we manufacture here in Charlotte. And I'll tell you, there's a great need for that. Let's take a few seconds to pull this off. If you want to get in touch with us, there are several ways. One is to write us, news at thepowercast.com. Once again, that's news at thepowercast.com. On Twitter, we are the Powercast at thepowercast on Twitter. If you want to send us a tweet... Or check our forums, forum.thepowercast.com, forum.thepowercast.com. We have Scott and Suzanne Ramsey. We're talking about Aztec. You're on with Gene. And with Chris, you're in The Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.thepowercast.com, store.thepowercast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.thepowercast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. For a long time, you've heard me talk about building your own food supply with eFoods Direct. As a listener, you know why you need to have a supply of the best storable food on the planet. Every day, we document the attempts to take control of our lives. But there's one thing we can all control, your greatest dependency, food. eFoods Direct products are made with only the best ingredients and none of the trash and contaminants like trans fats, GMOs, or MSG. This food is nutrient-dense and tastes great. It's simple to make, portable, and has a shelf life of up to 25 years. Now with eFoods Direct, you'll get the most affordable, best-tasting food you can buy. And the new products and pricing will blow you away. Compared to other food sources, including home-cooked meals, you can cut your food cost in half. You just can't afford to ignore this. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex for specials. Don't let this offer pass you by. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. More the best for less guaranteed. it how can i stop these annoying collection calls imagine being free from your debt without settling and with no payment plan no negotiating or filing bankruptcy and no attorneys what if you could eliminate the risk from all your unsecured debt in about 90 days and keep all your money you can it's called zero debt guarantee and it works there's no other program of its kind on the planet and we guarantee the results in writing call now 800-477-9256 let our team of experts Experts provide you 
with the resources to fight back, stop collection calls, and prevent and stop wage garnishments and bank levies. If you're facing foreclosure, we can help. Don't go it alone. Get free information now by calling 800-477-9256. Talk to an expert who has also completed our program. Call 800-477-9256 for free info or go to ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. That's 800-477-9256 or go to ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. Would it save you time to get the best quality water filters and the best quality storable foods from one company? You bet it would, and now you can at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Big Berkey water filter products and great-tasting, long-lasting, storable, wise foods are both now available on one website, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Wise foods, ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches and come with a 25-year shelf life. Big Berkey water filters are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. Combine Berkey water filters with wise foods for an unbeatable preparedness combination. Get free shipping on every order over $50. And GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit Big B-E-R-K-E-Y waterfilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Or go to BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. With Gene Steinberg and Chris O'Brien, we have Suzanne and Scott Ramsey. Now, Scott, let's just cover this very briefly. During your voyages to Aztec to explore what was going on, you met your future wife. It's almost a love story. Yes, I met uh, Suzanne as part of my research. I met her at a fundraiser in uh, Aztec. She was covering uh, the fundraiser for the Aztec UFO Symposium, and she was always very good. She had a radio show, like you have. She was very good about having the speakers of the symposium on the show either Wednesday or Thursday before the symposium started, and uh, that's how I met her. We became very good friends, and eventually she had me on her show talking about the research on Aztec, and that led to she and I getting married. And here you are. And here we are. Moved her from the lovely town of Aztec, New Mexico, or actually Farmington, to uh, Mooresville, North Carolina. Okay, now in beginning your research into Aztec, how did you begin to assemble the evidence? Did you use the Steinman book as a guidepost as to where to begin what? Uh just not really. I just kept really accurate notes. I was just trying to piece it together because I knew so little about it. I didn't know Frank Scully's book existed. I didn't know that Bill Steinman had come out with a book. Kind of just bounced from person to person out there. Eventually, I went down to the uh, Air Force archives at uh, Montgomery, Alabama, Maxwell Air Force Base. And the first time I went there for three days, the second trip I got. I got in Sunday night into Montgomery, and I ended up researching Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and left Friday night and drove a partial way back. I had a whole week there just looking for aircraft accident reports or incident reports, big difference, Um, looking for anything that could be confused with this story of a flying saucer on a mesa out in Hart Canyon. And, of course, I didn't find anything. I was actually looking for a flying wing, one of the old... uh, uh, B-47 flying wings. You, you were thinking about something like a test of some new aircraft. 
Yeah, looking for a, okay. a limited prototype uh, pro, uh, prototype bomber that uh, would have crashed. It was pretty exotic looking. Could the farmers and ranchers and oil field workers confuse that with you know something a lenticular craft as it was described? And the only thing I found in the 70s east of the crash site, an F-4 Phantom crash, like 73, 74, but not, nothing that would take us back to 48, 49, 50 era. Okay. Let's look at the case. Let's look at the basic story, and then we'll get into more of the evidence. Okay. When did it happen? Exactly what day? And do you have any background information about weather conditions at the time? Uh, not pinpoint weather. I know what the weather was like in Aztec. I know what the weather was like in Farmington, but I've left the hotel in Aztec and gone 11.7 miles to the crash site, and it's completely different weather. I've actually left downtown Aztec at, uh, with blue sky above me and got to the crash site, and I had snow flurries. But the uh, date that uh, seems to be consistent with everybody that we talked to was March 25, 1948, uh, just after or just before 5 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so you're not sure about the weather at that point? We don't know what the weather was like at the crash site. Uh, a lot of the old-timers I, I interviewed, they just, they just couldn't remember. But I can take the Aztec newspaper that came out a day later that recapped the weather that week, and it was chilly in Aztec, but uh, you know, wasn't up to their ankles in snow or anything like that in downtown Aztec. Okay, now this specific location, this location where it happened, mm -hmm. this Hart Canyon, how far is that from military base? Were there any military bases nearby? No, you'd be oh, 60 miles as the crow flies from Los Alamos National Lab, 127 miles as the crow flies from Kirkland uh, Air Force Base, and Sandia National Labs, uh, 240 miles north of White Sands Missile Range. So there's nothing immediately nearby. The Alvado Radar Station, 80, 90 miles as the crow flies over at Alvado Lake. But, uh, no, there's nothing right there. The other question, of course, with regard to any possible test aircraft, any Cold War training operations Missile tests, rocket tests in the vicinity? Oh, yeah, they were going on all the time, but I could not find any record uh, of anything on that date in that location. Okay. And it's a little too far for a V-2 to stray. I mean, that's you're pushing it with a V-2. You're not going to get one that far. And if it was a V-2, certainly you'd recognize it. Yes. Okay. And, and it wouldn't. They, I don't think they'd put a security lid around it like what went on at that, uh, that Mesa that day. And Hart Canyon... You leave the town of Aztec and, and go north just a little bit like you're going to Cedar Hill or Durango, and Hart Canyon veers off to the right going east, and it's out there on a mesa on the north edge of the uh, Hart Canyon Road is where this object was found. Now, that's the point. Nobody actually saw something in the sky. There was no UFO sighting preceding this apparent crash. Oh, no, there was. Yeah, Valentine Archuleta that morning. Uh, actually called the Air Force, which is probably how the Kirkland Air Force Base was alerted that something happened. Okay, is this one of the cases that we actually find in the Project Blue Book reports? I don't think okay. so, but it's one you find in Steinman's book, and uh, Valentine's dead, but I have talked to his family. Okay, so is there records of this case in the family records, something he wrote down or something like that? Uh, yeah, it's 
too long and involved, but basically he came out about quarter to five that morning to, he, he was a rancher and uh, ran an orchard, actually a very successful little ranch, and came out to check on his goats and sheep and um, saw a huge UFO, in his words, uh, fluttering like a leaf and fluttering as though it was in trouble and heading northeast. And the Valentine uh, Archuleta Ranch would be just almost due south of the Mesa in Hart Canyon Road. And he quickly went in and called Kirkland Air Force Base and said, hey, one of your crazy flying saucers you guys are talking about, I think it's in trouble. And it's it actually, he claimed, bounced off the canyon behind his house, behind his ranch. And the Air Force, it took two or three phone calls to get through to Kirkland. I don't have my notes in front of me. And they thanked him and said they assured him that they would uh, call him back, but wanted detailed information where he thought this object was heading. So that's possibly how the Air Force was alerted or the military was alerted as to which direction this object was going. Okay. Was any evidence recovered of something crashing near his home, at least some kind of impact? No. Okay. No. He said it hit, and he saw sparks fly, and off it went over over that mesa and heading out toward Hart Canyon. Okay, just parenthetically, you'd think if it struck the canyon at that particular point, wouldn't there be some evidence that something metallic struck there? You would okay. think. Well, but, you know, were you a, a fan of Formula One back in the 80s and 90s? I'm going to give you a good okay. example. They used to have titanium, or sometimes until they outlawed beryllium, uh, stop blocks on the cars so the cars wouldn't bottom out and hit the carbon fiber chassis on the on the belly. And they would run titanium, and every time they got on the brakes and the car would dip, you'd see a big shower of sparks. And after the race, after 200 miles or 100 miles, whatever a Formula One race is, one to two thousandths would be worn off. Yet you'd get these incredible sparks. So even though there were sparks and probably we didn't have the scientific measuring equipment today, you wouldn't find any evidence of anything. Right. And not all metals, when they give off a spark, necessarily leave a trace. Now, the craft that this person saw, any more details? Oh, yeah. From Valentine Archuleta or from the workers that came up? Well, let's go into the person who saw it flying. Valentine Archuleta, no, he saw it as it came across his ranch, fluttering like a leaf. It uh, careened off his back canyon. Right, but what did he see? How big was it? Did it make any noises? What? He was interviewed pretty late in life, and he was pretty old. He said it was huge. It was thin, like a pancake, and uh, had some searchlights on the bottom, some types of lighting on the bottom, and it, that was about it for his description. Okay, something he's remembering that took place 60, 70 years earlier. Okay. Yes. All right. Similar to the remembrances we have of Roswell, for example. So the next stage in our story, of course, is where people come upon the wreckage. And the other question I guess I'll ask as we move to our next segment is, did the Air Force Base call this guy back and say, hey, here's a follow-up, or did they just... Write it down and ignore him. That's one of the things we're going to find out. We have Scott Ramsey with Suzanne Ramsey. We're talking about the Aztec case. You're with Gene and with Chris. You're in the Paracast. 
Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We come back with Scott and Suzanne Ramsey with Gene and Chris in the Paracast exploring the case of the Aztec UFO crash, thought for many years to be a possible hoax or a fantasy, but now we're looking into the evidence that Scott Ramsey and Suzanne Ramsey and others have accumulated over many years. Okay, so the question I framed before we broke, Scott, did the Air Force Base, Kirtland Air Force Base, call back the witness and tell him anything? No, never heard a word. Never heard a word. How about other sightings that uh, may have been reported uh, during that same time period? Of course, we had the dramatic flyover uh, several years later in the Farmington area. Were, were, were there other, any, any other sightings, let's say, in Blue Book or other sighting logs? Yeah, leading up to and then, of course, after the March uh, 48 incident in Hart Canyon, and what Chris was referring to was the March 17th Armada flyover of hundreds, as the newspaper reported, of UFOs flew over Farmington, which is just you know 20 miles uh, west of Aztec. Yeah, we go into some cases in the book. Manuel Sandoval, who is a Cuba, uh, New Mexico police officer, little town of Cuba, about 100 miles southeast of the Four Corners, actually about halfway point between Albuquerque and the Four Corners. He and the highway patrolman by the name of Andy Andrews uh, were seeing flying saucers on Highway 44, the connecting road. Today it's called Highway 550 that connects you from just north of Albuquerque, the town of Bernalillo, then into Cuba, and then on to the Four Corners area. Andy Andrews would come down, not quite to Cuba. His territory would be the Continental Divide. And then Manuel Sandoval would patrol for the town of Cuba from the Continental Divide all the way to about 20 miles south of the town of Cuba. Well, they'd meet in the evening for coffee and pie at at a hotel restaurant in Cuba and talk about, recap that night about speeders, about lost people, lost tourists, on and on and on, and the subject started getting more and more toward flying saucers and having incredible sightings, the two of them, the same night, sometimes possibly the same object. 
but these were structured craft with portholes, with landing lights, uh, seeming to scan the desert floor and canyons, although, as Manuel said, as though they were looking for something. Now, during the day, Manuel Sandoval also worked security, but not for the town of Cuba, but for the uh, uh, Union Pacific uh, Gas Company that had the pipeline that came down the backside of Los Alamos all the way down to the pumping station at Libra. So between his day job and talking to other workers and experiencing what he and Andy Andrews saw at night, yes, there were a lot of UFO sightings. Okay. How and when was the wreckage of this apparent strange craft discovered? Uh, The morning of March 25th, 1948, oil field worker Doug Nolan was en route that morning to his boss's house, Bill Ferguson, uh, they were employed by El Paso Gas, and they were going to head down south toward uh, Bloomfield. And Bill Ferguson informed them that they were being redirected out to Hart Canyon Road because there was a bad brush fire uh, near or awfully close to a storage area of, of uh, drip tanks. And uh, when they got out to the drip tanks, it turned out that the fire was up on the mesa, the uh, Doug, Doug Nolan was uh, en route out to his uh, boss's house, Bill Ferguson, and they had a day planned down near Bloomfield in the Blanco area, uh, checking some uh, compressors. And when he got to Bill Ferguson's house, his boss informed him that now they were going out to Hart Canyon Road, the complete opposite direction, because a brush fire was reported out near their drip tanks, the, the big storage tanks. Uh, well, when they got out there, it turned out that the brush fire was up on a mesa uh, on top of the drip tank, so it, it posed no no threat. Uh, however, oil field workers that got there ahead of them said to Bill Ferguson, the senior guy, you don't have to worry about the brush fire. It's on the eastern end of the mesa, but directly above the oil tanks on the mesa is an object. We have no idea what this is. You need to come look at it. Now, just parenthetically, I want to ask, these remembrances you're giving us, is this something the original witnesses wrote down that you looked at or what? Uh, Doug Nolan perhaps did. Bill Ferguson, I don't know. He was long dead by the time I got onto this story. So you're getting it from the family members? No, actually, I, I got this from uh, Doug Nolan before he died, but I never had I never, timing ran out to talk to Ferguson. I think he died in the early early to mid-'70s. And uh, Doug was 19 at the time. By the time I interviewed him, he was 83. So young kids back in 48, by the time you get to them in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, they're getting up there in years. Now, were there written documents with any of these witnesses you could refer to to maybe bring their remembrances more up to date? Couldn't answer that. Don't know. Okay, okay. I did it purely by saying, you know, I let people talk. Just tell me your story. Tell me what you remember. And uh, and that's what uh, Doug did. We talked to him before he died, and he had just had a series of strokes, so he was he was struggling with his speech, but his mind was very sharp. Okay, so let's continue with the story. They get up there sure. and up on the mesa, and there's a large, as he put it, lenticular uh, object. Lenticular meaning like almost like a contact lens blown up, very small cross section. Uh, no apparent damage whatsoever. Uh, pewter, brushed aluminum type color, not shiny. 
no rivets, no seams, no bolts, screws, nuts, bolts, anything. Uh, he said it looked like it had been molded out of a mold. It was so perfect. And it was laying at a, about, you know, 15 degree angle, I think is what I, I took down in my notes from talking to him, uh, in the sandy silt on top of the mason. So it crashed into the it sand. It crashed, controlled landing, yeah, or whatever you want to use. There was there was no apparent damage, and and everybody we talked to had the same story about it. No apparent so damage. So now that's the point too. How many of the people that you talked to were direct witnesses like this one? Okay, Three. these are people who are saying this is what I remember, and the stories were fairly consistent. Yeah. Okay, so large craft. How big we're talking about here? Hundred feet in diameter. Okay, it's like a football field. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Football field sized craft, saucer shaped, with their hatches, portholes, anything. Yep. Okay. They talked about portholes going around the top dome. There was a dome on top and a dome on the bottom of this lenticular wing. Um, the one on top being noticeably larger. Look, taking up, it looked like it almost was an extra floor up on top, and uh, a mirrored sunglass type of uh, material that you had to get real close to realize it wasn't part of the craft, and they could look in. Kind of, and Doug described it as the mirrored sunglasses that became popular in the 70s and 80s, and you could look through it, and they found one that was broken about a half-inch hole. He said about big enough you could put your thumb through it. And Bill Ferguson uh, went and got a fire pole. They had no idea what it was. The last thing they thought of was a flying saucer from parts unknown. I assume they, they expected it was some kind of conventional aircraft they military. weren't familiar with. Yeah, military. It's exactly what Doug thought. He said, we never thought anything other than, hey, this is one of ours, and uh, we need to get in here and see if we can help somebody. And so Ferguson said, yeah, and... They went and got a fire pole and poked around, uh, uh, kind of breaking out the, the porthole uh, and poking around inside the cabin until Doug says, you know, I, I don't know what Ferguson hit, but all of a sudden a, a stairwell dropped down out of the bottom. It's kind of like the stairwell of, and, or perhaps, of course, similar to a walkway of some sort. I, I always think about the movie The Day the I Earth think The Day the Earth stood still. still, but then it was just like a platform. He walked down that platform. Here we're talking yeah. about stairs. So we have the big craft with the stairway. Okay. Mm -hmm. We have Scott Ramsey but, with uh, Suzanne Ramsey with Gene and Chris. You're in. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. 
the site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Don't answer it. How can I stop these annoying collection calls? Imagine being free from your debt without settling and with no payment plan, no negotiating or filing bankruptcy, and no attorneys. What if you could eliminate the risk from all your unsecured debt in about 90 days and keep all your money? You can. It's called Zero Debt Guarantee, and it works. There's no other program of its kind on the planet, and we guarantee the results in writing. Call now, 800-477-9256. Let our team of experts provide you with the resources to fight back, stop collection calls, and prevent and stop wage garnishments and bank levies. If you're facing foreclosure, we can help. Don't go it alone. Get free information now by calling 800-477-9256. Talk to an expert who has also completed our program. Call 800-477-9256 for free info or go to ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. That's 800-477-9256 or go to ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We have Scott and Suzanne Ramsey, and we're talking about the Aztec incident 
The long-awaited book, it's finally available for purchase. A limited print run, so you better hurry. We'll tell you later how to get a copy of the book. And we're dissecting the initial discovery of a strange craft, lenticular in shape, 100 feet in diameter. And they push something inside that opens up stairs, I guess a stairway, so they can enter the craft, right? That's correct. And uh, at that point, uh, Doug said that's when we quickly came to the realization that, well, actually, actually, when they viewed in the porthole, they saw two bodies slumped that would look like a control panel. And after the staircase came down and they looked up inside, uh, Doug said it was apparent that these probably weren't military people. They were very small and childlike in size. Traditional gray-type aliens or what? No, not gray. He said they were... They were they are actually burned. The chocolate brown or light brown, from what he said, uh, looked like a mass decompression. The body. So possibly, what might have happened here is there was some kind of hull breach, as we say in Star Trek language. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so this is a hull breach, and possibly and, the atmosphere gets in there, and we don't know what kind of hostile impact it has these people who went there and saw these beings, they couldn't really detect any particular features? No, he just said it just was apparent that these weren't, you know, tall military guys uh, test flying something. He said it it got kind of very strange at that point. Keep in mind, we're, you know, Bill Ferguson, Mr. and Mrs. Knight that are local ranchers out there uh, are three, you know, more or less senior people. I I think Doug... uh, talked about uh, always thinking Bill was really a lot older, and I think he was 25. He, he was the old guy, you know, 25 years of age. This is a couple but, of kids, basically, coming into this wreckage, not understanding what happened, but there's no physical wreckage outside except for the broken porthole. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, it's not like you hear descriptions of Roswell where there was a debris field. This is not a mesa of debris. It's a, a mesa of uh, virtually intact because uh, they couldn't see all the underside, but you know what they were looking at was in very good shape. But inside, the creatures looked they'd been burned. Yep. Okay. So what happened next? What did they do? Did they try to enter the craft? Uh, some stuck their head up in the stairwell. Uh, at this point, uh, we, we've gone, during all this, a police officer has shown up, and that is who I firmly believe was uh, Manuel Sandoval. Uh, you believe, secondly, but you couldn't confirm. Oh, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm, I'm convinced. How I, so? How are you convinced? The story he told people about his encounter with a, a flying saucer, and you take that encounter that he told and put it together with what Doug Nolan and Ken Farley and other people uh, say about the crash, and all of a sudden, well, this has to be the same one. And I'll, I'll tell you some significance. Uh, Doug Nolan, when he, when I was first interviewing him, I just, like I said, I let people talk. Just tell me what happened that day, Doug, and I'll just sit here and take notes. And he talks about then the second police officer shows up. Now, I, I'm not even cognizant of comprehending two police officers showing up in 1948 in this remote part of the desert, uh, 11.7 miles from downtown Aztec. And that's the only time I stopped them 
uh, at that point, I said, Doug, if I was out there today and, and if I got a cell connection and if I could call 911, I doubt I would get two sheriff department uh, personnel out there today because because of the territory. It's you know the San Juan County Sheriff's Department is a great group of guys and girls, but they don't have the resources to take and put two police cars out there. And he said, well, one was from the town of Cuba, and one was a local police officer that everybody knew. Keep in mind, Doug had just moved to that area from Mancos, Colorado. But he said when the second police officer showed up, it was first name basis with everybody, and you know they they all knew him. Now I've narrowed that down to three or four police officers. It could be another highway patrolman like an Andy Andrews. It could be another San Juan sheriff uh, or a sheriff, San Juan sheriff department. It could have been the Aztec constable at the time. But the witnesses the- who you talked to, they didn't recall which department no doug had just moved down there he said i probably knew at the time but at 80 some years old and going through what i've gone through health-wise i don't recall ken farley didn't live in the area he was transient going through the area en route to san diego as a young guy with a buddy and the only reason they went out heart canyon road is all the commotion they saw the police car and he said possibly a, an ambulance or a fire truck. He said, I don't remember what, but we thought, gee, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and this looks like an emergency. Let's go worry they're going to help or rubberneck. What's going on? Let's follow these guys out. Okay, once the authorities showed up, what happened to these witnesses? Were they interrogated? What? Well, the police officers are there. They're talking to each other. Then they come over, and the, the second local police officer informs the oil field workers that, hey, the military has been called, and you need to get out of here. And, well, you tell that to a bunch of 19-year-old oil field workers or 19-year-old kids in general, and they said, this looks big. We're not leaving. We're sticking around. And they did. And then the military showed up late morning, early afternoon. That, that part varied a little bit. And, uh, yes, then the oil field workers and Mr. and Mrs. Knight uh, were separated, even the police officers, and they were interrogated. What did you see? And basically, as I address in the book, well, it wasn't really what did you see. It's we're here to tell you you didn't see a thing, and it's about national security. Which agency did these military officers represent? Both Doug and Ken, everybody consistently says they had no mention on their uniforms of whether they were Army Air Force, you know, we had the Air Force then, the newly formed Air Force from the Army Air Corps. They were in generic uniforms as they showed up on the site. So it's even possible they weren't from the military at all. They could be from Atomic Energy Commission or, you know, pick your choice. Okay, so they were questioned separately and told basically, you didn't see anything, don't talk about it. That's right, get out of here. And Doug said years, years would go by. And he'd bring it up to Bill Ferguson in the truck. The two of them would be going out to an oil field or a compressor that was in trouble, and they needed to go out and check on it or fix it. And he'd say to Bill, you know, we're, you know, come on, Bill, where do you think that thing came from? What the heck do you think that thing was? And Ferguson would look at him and say, Doug, we're not supposed to talk about that. So this was at a time we have to kind of paint this. You know, yeah. back in the late 40s, early 50s, years following World War II, we believed the government, we believed the authorities – And if the police said, don't talk about it, if the Air Force or whatever military agency was involved said, don't talk about it, we accepted that 
as something as patriotic Americans. Today we'd say, sure, right, and five minutes later we'd call up the local cable station and say, hey, guess what happened to me? We have Scott Ramsey, Suzanne Ramsey, talking about Aztec with Gene and Chris in... The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Love gardening but don't love seeing your hard work destroyed by wildlife? Then use the number one most effective deer and rabbit repellent you can buy, Plantskid. Plantskid repellent protects gardens, trees, and landscaping by emitting an odor that browsing animals associate with predators. So animals avoid plants before they nibble, not after. Plantskid is made in the U.S. from non-toxic, 100% organic, environment, and pet-friendly ingredients. Other repellents wash off in the rain. Not Plantskid. It's guaranteed to outlast all other repellents. Plantskid was the first animal repellent to be OMRI listed organic and now comes in liquid spray, powder concentrate, or easy-to-use granular. Just sprinkle around your garden. For proven protection from deer, rabbits, squirrels, and other small rodents, use Plantskid. Member tested and recommended by the National Home Gardening Club. Find a dealer near you at Plantskid.com. That's PlantSKYDD.com. Ask about our new vole repellent when you call 800-252-6051. That's 800-252-6051. Plantskid, proven plant protection, guaranteed or your money back. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800 800- 346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. 
And now another CentOS game changer with sports broadcaster Aaron Andrews. I'm here at a manufacturing firm in Chapel Hill. With me is Bob, the GM. Bob, your company ships product nationwide. But talk about the home office's new game plan. Well, we had 10 years of old paperwork piled up here. It was a mess, a security risk, and my dog used to bury bones in the piles. We needed a game changer. And now I see CentOS trucks shredding all those files. They're known for uniforms. Tell me about their shredding playbook. They're the best. They have trucks across the country shredding tons of documents every day and every scrap of paper gets recycled. That sounds like a winning move. With CentOS trucks here weekly, they're happy they won't spend hours shredding documents themselves. Let's go to the booth. Document shredding is just one of the many expert services CentOS can tackle for your business. Don't waste time or take risks with confidential papers. Call CentOS at 1-800-CINTAS6 or visit CentOS.com slash radio and tell them to bring in the team with the white truck. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So we're speaking of a time when regular people believe the authorities. When they said, shut up. They shut up. With Scott and Suzanne Ramsey, we're looking at the Aztec case. We're continuing with what happened at Hart Canyon. Now, after the authorities said, shut up, did all these people you talked to just disperse, go home, what? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, they'd spent a greater part of the day out there. You know, it was afternoon by the time it was all the all was said and done. And uh, everybody went their own way. And Doug said he talked to very, very few people about this, his life. He, he really wanted it on the record. He, how I found Doug was he contacted Steinman after Steinman's book was out. And I called Bill in 90, early 90s, and he really didn't want any part of the Aztec story. He, he was pretty much burned out. He thought, he thinks to this day, he lost his job uh, over finishing the book when his employer told him not to. His employer uh, told him not to? Why? Well, he worked for an aerospace company, uh, and they didn't think that would be smart for a quality control engineer to be writing a book about flying saucers that crashed in Hart Canyon. Um, so he lost his job shortly after that. He couldn't get a job in the aerospace business. He felt that he was blackballed. Uh, which some of that conspiracy I have to go along with. I mean, he never did get a job back in the aerospace business. He's a brilliant guy. He's a great guy if you've ever met him. Um, I contacted him, and he was very, very nice, but very short with me, and just said, look, um, go go get your feet wet. When you're really serious, when I think you're serious, then I'll talk to you, but uh, I don't think you've been doing this long enough. And I think I've been doing it six years. And uh, so I waited a few years and called him back, and he said, you still at this? And I said, yeah. And he said, where are you at? And I told him how much research uh, we had done and uh, where we were. And so he said, well, here, then let me, you're serious, let me give you a couple of leads. And if these people are still alive, great. If not, you know, I did the best I could. So and this was a litmus test. This is the Bill yeah, Steinman exactly. litmus test that you have to be involved in this thing for 10 years or so before he will even talk to you. Yeah, which is about how long he put into it, right. So, as a matter of fact, um, old Bill may be listening to this show when it airs, but I will uh, 
he'll have a book in his hand. By the way, he, I did not call him last week and tell him the book was done. I just want a book to show up and kind of surprise him. But he uh, he was an enormous help in saying, you know, here here's some leads, and, and I know what he feels like. We're, you know, our book's out, and we already have two very good solid leads that need to be followed up. And some of the leads he gave us were very good. And then Randy Barnes, a resident of Aztec, uh, came up with uh, Ken Farley, and Ken was a good witness. Uh, he wasn't from the area. He didn't pal around with these guys in Aztec where they could have concocted a story. And we talked to Ken, and Ken brought up being at the crash site and two police officers. Now, that's the interesting thing here. After all these years, because they were admonished not to say anything, they said nothing, even though they may have been contacted through the years. Basically, none of the story about Aztec leaked out, I guess, until Steinman got involved after the initial flurry with Frank Scully. Yes, that's true. Now, you have a chapter, Chapter 7, and I wanted to break into this and ask you a question why we say that. Birds of a feather flock together, and the way it's spelled <laughs> is, of course, it's Carl Flock, who was kind of a, was a skeptical gentleman. He was co-author of Jim Mosley's book, Shockingly Close to the Truth. Right. Flock didn't believe in Aztec. Why? What's his objection? Or what was his objection? Uh, well, I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to answer that question with a statement first. By the way, Carl and I agreed on a lot of things in life, uh, politics, sports. Uh, Carl and I became good friends. It's, it was like two, having two friends that could not agree on politics when it came to Aztec. Sounds like me and my wife. Okay, there you go. And people sometimes think Carl and I were at each other's throat only when we were talking Aztec. Uh, he, his whole theory was, and for your listeners that don't know, Carl, Carl had an incredible background, a military career, uh, working for d different agencies within the government, including the CIA, and, and was a very, very bright and talented guy. But his whole thing about Aztec was Silas Newton and Leo Gabauer were dragged in on a confidence charges. Therefore, the entire credibility of the case goes out the window. And I could never get Carl beyond that. Even if you said, look at all these witnesses? No. Oh, no. He wouldn't look at the witnesses no. because he, he these two people were suspect. That's correct. Exactly. And you've got to keep in mind, he's not a big fan of Roswell either. Carl was a big fan of a few selected cases. Bar Barney and Betty Hill, you know, that was one that he looked into and felt comfortable with. But, you know, I had, I had, I had a lot of problems with Carl, and I used to talk to him about it. I'd say, Carl, you live in Bernalillo. You are two hours and 15 minutes from your house to the crash site, landing site, whatever we want to call it. I live in North Carolina just north of Charlotte, 1,836 miles from my driveway to the crash site. He had, he had bad-mouthed Aztec for years, and the only time he went to the crash site is when I put him in my rental car and took him to the crash site. And I said, how can you possibly write negative things about the Aztec crash? You've never been to the site. You've never looked around at the physical evidence. You've never walked up and down Main Street and talked to anybody. That would be like a homicide detective never leaving his house and solving a murder case. I said, come on, Carl, you know, you, you do your research. If you don't like it after that, after that, then that's fine. 
but don't, uh, to, to quote Stan Friedman, don't armchair it. Don't sit in your armchair and, and, and try to solve this thing. Speaking of which, Kevin Randall hasn't bought Aztec. Has no. he read this book? He's reading it now, and I don't think he'll buy it after he reads it. <laughs> Okay. You'll have to ask. We will. He sent me an email over the weekend. It wasn't going in a positive direction. Okay. And there's there's a lot of people in the field of ufology that have never accepted uh, Aztec. And, you know, if you've noticed, Suzanne and I, and not for any negative reason, but we're not, we don't subscribe to the field of ufology. We look at this as purely a research project and a research case. Um, it's it's tainted in the field of ufology, if there is such a thing, by the way, of the field of ufology. But uh, so we have to look at it from fresh eyes, look at the fresh evidence, and not be part of the band that says I want to be part of Aztec, or if I don't, I don't or I don't want to be part of Aztec. Apparently, the popular thing is not to be part of it. Okay, so you are basically going up against conventional wisdom here. Uh, I think that would wrap it up. And I got well. the impression that some of our listeners, based on the questions they posed, and we've asked some of them already, we'll have more to pose as we progress from the questions in our forums at forum.thepowercast.com. I gather people are trying to be fair about it, but there's a general tendency to be skeptical of Aztec, even if they were to accept Roswell. And Aztec has kind of played the second fiddle to Roswell. Oh, and why, why is that? Well, you know, you look at the beginning of Roswell, look at the events happening. All of a sudden, it's on the front page of many newspapers around the, the country, Army Recovers Flying Disc, or whatever the exact quote was. And now, eight months later, we have the the Aztec incident. It doesn't make the cover of a newspaper. Uh, was the military a lot better did they learn from their mistake of putting out a press release back in 1947 I don't know I, I think when I talk to people of well, well, you you feel strong about the Roswell incident why not Aztec well I think it's well it, the story broke it hit the wire service the military put out a press release saying we finally captured one of these damn things we got it in our possession the theory being the here is that there should have been some publicity beyond the scully book early on we have scott and suzanne ramsey with gene and chris you're in america's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade we are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many 
formats I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. For a long time, you've heard me talk about building your own food supply with eFoods Direct. As a listener, you know why you need to have a supply of the best storable food on the planet. Every day, we document the attempts to take control of our lives. But there's one thing we can all control. Your greatest dependency, food. eFoods Direct products are made with only the best ingredients and none of the trash and contaminants like trans fats, GMOs, or MSG. This food is nutrient-dense and tastes great. It's simple to make, portable, and has a shelf life of up to 25 years. Now with eFoods Direct, you'll get the most affordable, best-tasting food you can buy. And the new products and pricing will blow you away. Compared to other food sources, including home-cooked meals, you can cut your food cost in half. You just can't afford to ignore this. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex for specials. Don't let this offer pass you by. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. More of the best for less guaranteed. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all-natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. Attention mindless criminals, thugs, and thieves. Go ahead, break a leg. American homeowners are fed up with your door kick-ins and forced entries. We now dare you to try your boot against any door reinforced with the Door Sentinel. The Door Sentinel pack includes a steel door jam plate with 3.5-inch screws, a lock shield, and hinge shields. The Door Sentinel installs in minutes, securing any front, side, or back doors, even French doors. Criminals, be forewarned, your lake will break before the Door Sentinel will budge. Even if you have an alarm system, back it up with the Door Sentinel. Basic products starting under $20. Order your Door Sentinel today for your home, garage, or any building you own or rent at MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com or call 678-648-6757. That's 678-648-6757. Get your peace of mind back with Door Sentinel. The Door Sentinel. Always on guard. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We have Scott and Suzanne Ramsey. Suzanne kind of taking over the call for a few moments as we continue with our exploration with Gene and Chris into the Aztec incident in 1948. Now, you having grown up in that area, Suzanne, 
What was your take on this? Had you heard anything about it before you met Scott and began this journey? Actually, I, I was originally from Chicago, moved to South Dakota, and then from there had lived several places, and my parents were going to move to a warmer climate from South Dakota. I could and, see that. Yes, oh, yeah. And my um, mother, I remember I must have been, I'm going to guess about the age of eight, had, I remember her reading Scully's book. Now, I, I think the book was like 16 years old by that time, but I remember her um, reading the book and talking about around the dinner table. And um, you have to keep in mind that that was not an era where you spoke about things like that a lot. They just weren't as common as in every day as they are today. And um, so that's kind of where the topic came up. And then after she finished reading the book, you know, there were other things to go on to. And years later when they decided to move, they gave me a call. I was living elsewhere and said, hey, could you help us move down? And we're looking for some place in the southwest where it's warmer. And as they looked at different locations, the one that kept coming up in their mind was my mom said, I was so fascinated by the book I read years ago about the Aztec you know, incident. Um, she said, I, I really would be interested in, in living in that area and just you know, getting to know more about it. Well, of course, there were a lot of things to consider, and they did eventually end up moving there and and um, and enjoyed their life very much. But one of the disappointments was that nobody talked about it. It was as if it never happened. I mean, could and, you physically go to some place where did you and say, "Hey, do you have any information about this alleged UFO crash years ago?" Nobody, no, nothing, nothing at all. Did you ask? I, I, I know she did. Okay, I know for a fact she did. Okay, and. And um, there was just nothing, nothing talk, spoken about it at all. And then what started to happen was there was a, uh, what kind of brought this back up again, I guess, the topic was several books, as, as Scott has discussed with you, but also the fact that Leanne Hathcock, uh, she was the director of the library in town, wanted to do some type of a fundraiser that would be unique. And she was this decided, a public library you're talking about here? Yes, okay. in Aztec, sure. yeah. yeah. And they needed to do a fundraiser to build the building. Well, it's funny how it kicked something off that that had not really had much attention called to it. And over the years, um, doing this symposium and bringing speakers in and and having it uh, to celebrate this particular event um, has, you know, had pluses and minuses to it. A lot of people are really excited about it and fascinated by it from all over the world as well as people in the area that are not so inclined to. I think that the the concerns that the people that were on site had, of course, as you discussed with Scott, were that, you know, there were military had mentioned to the folks, actually more than mentioned, but um, persuaded them not to discuss this. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure. And this was a different era. When the military said something, you did it. And um, they were concerned about the well-being of their family and their friends. So it put a squelch on everything as if it didn't happen. And years later, I was talking to a woman who was a journalist, and I, was, I said, I know that you have some information on this. And I said, I've done my own research, and, and at that time Scott and I were married, and I said, but, and, and Scott's been doing research, but I know you have some information because you started to write about this. And, and the woman... Uh, said to me on the phone, she said, and she was a mature age lady and, and a 
quite a, an elegant lady. Her statement was, no good can come from this. I spent time on this. No good can come from this. And I said, well, and she said, you need to just stop this right now, Suzanne. And I said, I understand your concerns. I appreciate you, you know, sharing that. And um, we'll proceed with caution. But, you know, this is what we're doing. And she was very disappointed to hear that. Now, this but, is also um, interesting here, too. All these years, nobody even whispered anything before, say, Bill Steinman started investigating and you and Scott started right. investigating. Nobody said a thing. There were no military authorities coming to check things over, no men in black, nothing. Nothing happened. I really think that the pressure that the, the witnesses were put under had everything to do with that. Again, keep in mind, this was in 1948. There were very few phones, not a lot of communication. I mean, it's a desolate area, not the city of Aztec itself, but out where the crash happened. There, but it's still, it's a pretty remote area. Chris, yeah, have you ever been down today, there? it's remote. Yeah. yeah. It's have you been there, Chris? Remote. Yeah, well, I it is. I spoke at your conference in 2008. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. You're right. That's right. Um, so it, it, it is. It's pretty isolated out there. It's beautiful. But it's, you know, and you think back to, you know, 1948, in the book, in the back of the book, just for fun, we put some pictures of kind of what Aztec was like, not specifically in that era, but, you know, random pictures of, of, um, of what it was like. And it being in the West, it's more isolated, too. You know, we live in the East now, and, uh, you know, on the East Coast, and there's more population. It's more densely populated. Out there, it wasn't. And so I yeah, think if... Cowboys and Indians. <laughs> it was, you know, honestly, I have a picture of downtown Main Street at one point, and it's one of my favorite pictures of all time, is it's a picture of them herding buffalo down Main Street in Aztec. Oh, it sounds like a Western movie. Listen, let's move into the crash site. Okay, so they leave sure. the crash site, and obviously at some point in time, it's no longer there. So if you check the site, as you have done, as Bill Steinman has done, as people have done, what do you find there now? Currently? You mean today? When you start investigating find- this particular case, what did you see at the site? Well, it's, again, it's a desolate area. It's a, it's a, a mesa and um, for those of you that aren't familiar with a mesa, the term mesa means it's like a hill. And, but it's got some cliffs and bluffs around it. And um, it's pretty high up so that you can see into Colorado. It's east of the Colorado Mountains. It's a dusty road. And at that time, there was a dusty road leading up to it. And that's about all you could see. In time, we were able to... Uh, Randy Barnes went in and... and um, did, what did what did he use to get rid of the hills? That's right. He poked with a with a stick uh, or a, a rod into the sand to find the cement slab. And um, I had to step away for a moment. And I don't know if Scott discussed the cement slab. Did he have a chance to describe that to you? We yeah. haven't gotten to the point that's, of that's talking about what's left. So the key is what's left, and has anyone taken any? readings or samples, soil samples, whatever, to see if there's anything unusual? Well, the, the readings, there have been readings that have done, have been done, and there have been things that have been found, some, um, oh, military little nicks and knacks, you know, things from MREs or whatever out there, but that, that could be explained, honestly, from hunters or anything else. Um, but the cement slab that is there 
Yeah, that's the most enigmatic feature. That's. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. I said that's the most enigmatic feature that's there. Is the it is. Flap. It's, it's There's no amazing. reason at all for that. There's no reason for it to be there. There is absolutely no reason. And Describe and this cement me, slab. Let's talk about that, what it looks like. Okay. It's, um, uh, the cement slab is about one meter square. And what we've done is had some tests done on it to see, you know, if, just get, gather information on it itself. And um, we've gotten to a point, but it's very, very expensive to have an analysis done. What we do know so far is that the rebar in, in this slab is from that area of time, uh, around 1948. Now, when they make rebar, and it is from, and the sand that the cement was made from was from the area of, of Aztec. So um, what that tells you, you think, well, isn't that common, or does that, how does that help? Um, rebar is made, and they, they usually keep it within a couple-year period, so you can isolate it to a point. Um, but it's, it's still there. A lot of people have chipped, chipped pieces off of it and had souvenirs taken and things, and, but, which is disappointing, but you know, I guess it's that you want a piece of the action or something. So this is something <laughs> that would have to be built, or was it there naturally? The cement slab? Yeah, is this no. something? No, it, it obviously cement and rebar is. Okay, not so I am not somebody who does construction. I want this to be explained. So, okay, so we have this sure. cement slab that's left there. It's a remnant, and we have to figure out why it would be there, what purpose it's used for, wow. and how this may connect with the possible recovery of a flying saucer. Lots of stuff to go here with Scott and Suzanne Ramsey. And the book is called The Aztec Incident, Recovery at Heart Canyon. And if you go to theaztecincident.com, you can check out a sample chapter of the book and maybe order a copy. With Scott and Suzanne Ramsey and Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right. Every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're trying to figure out what happened at Heart Canyon, Aztec, New Mexico. The book is called The Aztec Incident, Recovery at Heart Canyon. We have Scott and Suzanne Ramsey. Suzanne is telling us about 
the cement slab that was left there. Okay, a cement slab, and those of us who know nothing about building anything, can't, I can build radio kits. I know nothing about building houses or factories or industrial kind of production. Tell me, because I know nothing about this process, what would you use this cement slab for? Let me, let me step back just a second and give you a little more information. You asked me, the question was initially, what was, what would you see when you, when we went to initially start to investigate the crash site? Um, there were some trees that were down. Um, there were, uh, you know, there was a, a cleared, a space that had been cleared. And there is a cement slab that's adjacent to it. And Scott, just before the two of us got together, Scott interviewed a gentleman that he was able to track through some fascinating research. I mean, I don't know how he picked this out, but he was able to to locate a gentleman that was the procurement officer that would procure um, items that you would need on location when you know, disasters and things came up, he was the person that would ship out and make sure that you got everything that you needed. And Scott was able to locate him, he's on the East Coast, and went and visited with him, now at this point an elderly man, and said, can you help me with what happened? I see that you got all the good reports and you got you had access to all this information. And the gentleman was cautious at first, but did share some things. And one of the things that he said is, that he actually saw pictures of of the craft. He never was able to go to the craft, but he sent out information um, and and equipment for what they would need. And one of the things that he said, you will know that you found the right spot when you find a cement slab. And Scott's statement was, in the middle of the desert? And he said, yes, that's where you'll know that it's so strange. There's nothing else around. You'll see a little road that's not going to be on any of the maps or anything, and then you'll see the cement slab. And he described that because of the silty ground, in order to move the craft, they had to bring in a crane. Okay, so this guy saw a picture of the crash UFO, but there are no pictures that anyone can find. No, we have never. Okay. But what he said is that because of the silty ground, with the crane, when they would try to lift up something of this size, you know, keep in mind, you know, 100 foot, that it it kept sliding. So what they had to do was lay a cement slab for the crane to balance itself on so that they could lift it, you know, solid ground in other words. They had to create an artificial solid ground. And so, and they had to build a road to get to it. So these were definitive things. That's what caused uh, Scott and Randy Barnes to go looking for um, the cement slab. And at the area that seemed to be where the crash had happened, there was no cement slab. So they started poking with rods to try and locate this. And so that, I'm just trying to kind of walk you through the steps of, of what, you know, how we knew to look for that. So that is something. And then since then, not only have we had analysis is done, but um, we also have have brought in people from the area that would be experts in the field to say, is there any reason that a cement slab would be here? And they said, absolutely not. So it would have to be strictly for helping to move a very, very heavy object. Heavy ob- object, exactly. Okay, we have so, to. We can't even begin to imagine what this thing weighed—a hundred feet in diameter. We have no idea. It could be light as a feather because of the construction of the metallic material. We have no idea. But the question is here: a hundred feet. Can you carry this thing 
in one piece, what would you do? Put it on some kind of wheels or what? No, that's a very that's a very good question. And and it's funny, we actually had gotten to the point that we thought, you know, we'll probably have the book winding up and, and one day Scott came to me and he said, You know, there's an area we haven't uncovered and I said, What's that? And I have to keep in mind hundreds of thousands of dollars. We've traveled all over the country and and have spoken about this topic. We're, we'll be married in October nine years. And so since we've been together, we have spoken about this and worked on this project every single day, all but two days of our honeymoon. So I'll, <laughs> this is like a big part of our life. But he came to me and he said, we're, we're getting close, but he said, we need to figure out how they got it out of there. And we need to see if it's even feasible. Because he said, you know, skeptics are going to be honest about it. And he said, and most of all, I want to know. I need to know that. And I said, holy cats, do you know what that's going to cost us? But we did it. And we hired one of the, uh, an expert, he's world-renowned, um, on moving heavy objects and, and large object, objects. And so, and by different means, different types of transportation. And he, um, you know, was what we also wanted to do, and we've done with all of our experts, is try to get people that don't give a hoot about UFOs. They're not, oh, we want to make this happen, because that's not how we are. If it's a legitimate case, then it's a legitimate, legitimate case. If it's not, then it's not. That's all there is to it. And and so you're not expecting riches from this, because there's no way if you sell 1,100 copies of this book. And the list price of the book is twenty four ninety five. You sell that, you're talking about twenty four thousand nine hundred fifty dollars, and you spent what a half million dollars on this? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so you know, it, it, the the key for us was unlocking that knowledge as opposed to anything else. Honestly, you know, it's it's we're not going to try and convince you of anything. But so we called in this gentleman, Bill Metzger, and and discussed it with him and said, you know, we have a we need to know if this object didn't tell him what it was and and he was, you know, okay, all right, I'll I'll fly out there, I'll get out there to New Mexico and and um and we'll actually reenact it and I'll see if it's feasible with the roads and with the equipment that they had at that time to move things like that. And because of the sparse so, population, people just wouldn't notice. Well, the thing is, if you went about it and you just based it on today's roads, people would see it. But if you went with the roads that existed at that time, and that's where, as both of you know, being researchers, you have to dig deeper. It's not just something, well, let's just pull this up on the Internet. You really have to go into archives and spend time trying to know, is this accurate information? And and everyone kept saying, oh, well, you couldn't do it today. You couldn't do it today. Well, of course. But with the roads, of course, they were unimproved roads. They weren't paved or anything back in that day. But um, they were back roads. And that's all that really exists. And you have to so, be lucky that maybe a farmer didn't come rushing by to see what was going on. And maybe if they did, they'd be asked to be quiet about it. Well, and you would never know. You know, there's no way we'll ever know that. There's just no way. But in Scully's book, he describes that it was taken apart in three sections and then moved. Okay, that's the one and thing I have a problem about. Okay, we're talking about a relatively intact, perfectly formed craft of unknown weight. How the heck do you disassemble it? You know, the picture that I have, and this may not be the most accurate, but I think of it fit together like a piece of puzzle, pieces of puzzle. 
so they were, and again, this is my picture in my mind, but like tongue and groove. So and maybe the so original designers who were whatever they may have been built it in sections and you had to find a way to take it apart, but using 1948 technology with something that may have been built with technology that's hundreds of years ahead of us. That's where yes, I have problems. Exactly. That's why I'm, I'm hoping you'll explain this to me. Well, and, and so what we ended up doing was them taking it apart and and then putting and then moving it out. On but we're the assuming it's being taken apart, but once again, did anyone tell you how do you take this thing apart? I think that's where we have to kind of go before we go. Once you take it apart, I guess you can do anything. Oh, blowtorch. <laughs> So, you think well, a welding torch would do it? How it was moved. I mean, how it was actually taken apart. Pins and grooves, or, or tongue and grooves, more is what you would describe. That's what I. That's why I just asked Scott if he had a better way to describe it. But that's that's why in my mind I, I picture it as like a puzzle. You know, pieces that that slid out from each other. Um, you know, I, I I can't explain it. We're assuming here they found a way to disassemble this thing and to transport it because otherwise they couldn't have done it or would have had to find a way to take it intact. We have Scott and Suzanne Ramsey with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Don't answer it! How can I stop these annoying collection calls? Imagine being free from your debt without settling and with no payment plans, no negotiating or filing bankruptcy, and no attorneys. What if you could eliminate the risk from all your unsecured debt in about 90 days and keep all your money? You can. It's called Zero Debt Guarantee, and it works. There's no other program of its kind on the planet, and we guarantee the results in writing. Call now, 800-477-9256. Let our team of experts provide you with the resources to fight back, stop collection calls, and prevent and stop wage garnishments and bank levies. If you're facing foreclosure, we can help. Don't go it alone. Get free information now by calling 800-477-9256. Talk to an expert who has also completed our program. Call 800-477-9256 for free info or go to ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. That's 800-477-9256 or go to ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. For a long time, you've heard me talk about building your own food supply with eFoods Direct. As a listener, you know why you need to have a supply of the best storable food on the planet. Every day, we document the attempts to take control of our lives. But there's one thing we can all control. Your greatest dependency, food. 
Kentucky Foods Direct products are made with only the best ingredients and none of the trash and contaminants like trans fats, GMOs, or MSG. This food is nutrient-dense and tastes great. It's simple to make, portable, and has a shelf life of up to 25 years. Now with eFoods Direct, you'll get the most affordable, best-tasting food you can buy. And the new products and pricing will blow you away. Compared to other food sources, including home-cooked meals, you can cut your food cost in half. You just can't afford to ignore this. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex for specials. Don't let this offer pass you by. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. More the best for less guaranteed. How much are you spending on your protein? Did you know that at normal cooking temperatures, you lose 50% or more of the amino acids that make up your protein? This means you're throwing away 50% of your money when eating cooked proteins, and you're burdening your organs of elimination. Proteins are vital to your health, but to get the full benefit, they must come into your bloodstream as undamaged amino acids. One World Way is processed in a unique manner to protect the amino acids so they're easy to digest and use at the cellular level. The health benefits of undamaged whey protein are well documented. They are healing, reduced inflammation, increased levels of glutathione, detoxification, weight loss, muscle gains, more energy, and a better sense of well-being. If you want to have the energy to achieve your dreams, consider adding One World Way to your diet. Call 888-988-3325. Mention coupon code KNOCKOUT and you'll receive a free tube of Knockout Pain Cream with your order, which eliminates soft tissue pain in 10 minutes for 90% of users. Call 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So we're trying to figure out how they may have taken apart a 100-foot flying saucer using 1948 technology. Our guests this week on the Paracast are Scott and Suzanne Ramsey, authors of the Aztec Incident Recovery at Heart Canyon. If you go to theaztecincident.com, you can check out and order a copy of the book for yourself. So, Suzanne, I guess you have to consider the difficulties in understanding how they may have taken this craft apart in pieces like a puzzle. So, would they have used welding equipment? No, apart? they didn't. No, they didn't. it actually... Now, keep in mind that in, in another chapter that we cover the... Um, and if you're familiar with the story, you'll know this name. And if you're not, then this will be something that you'll learn in the book is that Scully had talked about nine scientists that were brought in from all over, and they were the top scientists in their fields and and continued on in life after this to accomplish tremendous things. And um, we were able to identify them. And when you look at what their gifts and talents are and what they've done, you see that it wouldn't be like, and I'll speak for myself, I won't speak for you two gentlemen, but... It wouldn't be like me going up to this craft and saying, well, maybe I'll just cut this. So you had the name of the nine scientists in the book, and the question would be then, did you try to make an effort to contact these scientists and see what they had to say? Or if they weren't around, contact their heirs and see what information you could get from them? We followed in and did research in archives. We followed in um, to their histories, their backgrounds, their travel records, to in depth as you possibly can. Most of them, in fact, all of them, one of them was still alive and we had not isolated him and he just died. We actually were on a plane 
and flying cross country and and um, found his obituary and we felt like he was the one and then were able to identify him. So no, his family members, um, you know, they just don't really exist. These gentlemen were under such classified, worked on such classified projects that, um, you know, they wouldn't have been able to discuss this with their family members anyway. So we have here nine scientists who are working together separately to use cutting-edge technology in order to disassemble a 100-foot flying saucer. Where would you take them? How would you take them? Would you try to put them on a railroad train? I guess there's no railroads near there. Would you try to lift them on an airplane and take it to the final destination? Where would you go? If you're, the way that, that, and based on information that we gathered, and then actually physically went out and measured and reenacted over bridges, over, over hill and dale, frankly, um, how to get that craft out. And that's what I'm saying. That's what was so costly to reenact this. And we, um, um, to get it to a location, you know, to, to move it by plane, there's just no way they could probably do that back in those days. But to get it to Los Alamos, keep in mind, Los Alamos is, you know, in eastern part of New Mexico, north, northeastern part of New Mexico. And um, that would be a perfectly reasonable place to go and, and probably where they took it. So we have Los Alamos as a possible destination here. So did you consider here that now we have a lot more potential witnesses to the arrival of this strange craft? Did you make any effort to try to reach out to find out if there's anyone out there who'd have any memory of such a thing? Or would we assume that because of the people who were at the landing site admonished to be secret about it, the same situation on steroids would apply at Los Alamos? Gene, honestly, if you go to Los Alamos and if you, if you spend some time there, one building and even one desk away does not have any idea what the next desk is working on. They're, they're a customer of Scott's. And and so we know this from the inside, and and um, it is so carefully, um, you know, it, it's secure. I don't know how else to explain it. And so there would be no reason that these folks would would discuss this. So they might have brought and this stuff into a hangar, closed the doors, told the few people who were taking apart this craft what was going on. This happened in 1948. So the assumption being, if there was a craft there, we've got the cement slab. And there's no craft now, well, therefore, somehow, they moved it from here to there. And Los Alamos being, I'm trying to follow the logic here, Los Alamos being the nearest installation that would have the capability of looking at what they got, well, that was the place they went to. Kirtland Air Force Base is there, too. Sure, Kirtland Air Force Base. Could they have taken it there? Would there be a... Those would be two very reasonable, very close um, facilities that would have... um, the ability to not only conceal it, but start to do whatever they needed to to it. And the scientists came in through by way of Durango. They flew into Durango, Colorado, which is just a few miles away from, from Aztec. And that's, that's what it looks like. That's the tracking that we were able to do. So by tracking this, we're seeing here the potential that this was taken to Kirtland or to Los Alamos years ago and probably is still there unless it's been moved. I, I can't say that i wish i wish i could tell you but i you know i can't tell you i don't i don't know but i will say one thing that i wanted to mention back when we were talking about the the witness that scott 
interviewed on the East Coast about the procurement officer. One of the things that, that was really interesting was that he, his statement was one of his jobs was to make sure in the records of all of the, the people that were involved, and there were about 200 over a couple week period on the crash site, 200 military people. And his job was to, and, and I believe the quote was, put them in places so they could never be tracked to this. Like, um, you know, if you were out playing softball and you twisted your ankle and you were in the infirmary. So his job was to, one of his jobs was to make sure that the records never indicated that this person was out, out in New Mexico at that Create point. cover stories. Yep. Okay. Yep. So therefore, there's no way to find out which soldiers were there because everything would be hidden, everything would be classified, everything would be covered up. And so far, other than the witnesses you've unearthed, any other whistleblowers that you find who have any knowledge about what might have happened? There was a, a minister that was um, traveling by. He was, a, I guess you'll say, a traveling minister. He he uh, took care of several several churches in the area. And again, you know, what might be 10 miles or 20 miles to us to there was a minister on site. Um, he actually, I guess you could say, was passing by and um, passed where this happened. And he saw activity happening back and forth and, um, you know, different vehicles pulling in and out and, and just activity that was unusual. He was a circuit teacher or uh, minister. And so he was leaving from Aztec and heading back home to Mancos, Colorado. And on his way, he passed by this and thought, I, you know, I hope everything's okay. I'll go and check. So he drove off the road to the crash site. And when he got there, they were removing the bodies. And he went to see if he could help. And initially, you know, from a distance, not knowing, you know, was this a, you know, were these human beings or, or whatever, and got over there. And, of course, they were all dead. And he gave them, you know, prayers, said kind of rest in peace, and did some prayers. We'll get into more of this with yeah. Scott and Suzanne Ramsey with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Will I have garlic breath after I take LEC? 
We get that question all the time about the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. And the answer is, Ali C contains stabilized allicin, nature's antimicrobial agent, and the active ingredient in crushed garlic, but will not give you garlic breath. Scientifically proven in double-blind studies, using low doses of allicin greatly reduces the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Our powerful Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin. Just one tablet of Ali C is equivalent to 40 garlic cloves. It's effective against asthma. MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections, and helps lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Plus, it's a natural mosquito repellent. Boosts resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Alley C. For more information and to order Alley C, call 877-888-7126 or go to GarlicHealthProducts.com. That's 877-888-7126 or GarlicHealthProducts.com. Fight back with Alley C. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes, revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporian e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service, fast, free, same-day shipping, and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker you owe the irs money you can't pay then listen carefully because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem guaranteed. He's helped thousands of people, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So maybe the djinn have the answer, Chris, to what happened over at Aztec? It seems awful. Uh, there's a lot of sleight of hand and tricksterishness going on by the government if this, uh, if this case was is effectively covered up um, as it was, and... Uh, I know the area down there around Aztec, and it's very difficult to uh, pull off large, uh, moving large uh, objects like that. Um, obviously, they've they've had a lot of practice in the intervening years with all the oil rigs and uh, the drilling that goes on in the whole gas fields uh, from there to Dulce, pretty much. So, uh, and and you know all the way to Montrose for that matter. But uh, 
I, I'm really intrigued by this. Now, you're saying, uh, Suzanne, that, that a, a, an actual minister was allowed to get near the crash site and give, uh, like, last rites or something to these, uh, or to pray over these bodies. That <laughs> that sounds a little strange. Uh, you would think that they would have a very secure perimeter around the uh, crash site, and he would never have been able to get close. Uh, that's a pretty interesting claim. Well, and what ended up happening was um, he got back to... Mancus, uh, Colorado, and it, you know, it's a, he was a Baptist minister, and, and it was a small church, and um, he called together several of, of, I guess you could say his closest parishioners and, and people that meant a lot to him, and he sat and just cried, and he said, I have something to tell you, and it, and it shook me up a lot, and he shared what he saw, and um, that was something that, you know, that's one of the things you're not going to see anyplace else because that was, we felt honored in the fact that got in touch with some of the family members and, and different people that were parishioners of his church and, and shared that information and um, just how much it, it impacted his life and how much it shook him up. But he also kept it quiet. He did. Um, we got this information from some of the parishioners. In fact, it was on one of our researches, or one of our times out there researching, and, and we were digging around in, in Mancus and, um, for some information, and, you know, someone contacted us and said, you know, we need to share this with you. And it's amazing, you know, people that, that were, you know, persuaded by the government not to share the information and were fearful, how when they get towards the end of their life, they they just feel like they have to share it. They've carried that burden all these years, and they feel like they have to share it. But a lot of what you have here, most or all of what you have here, is basically someone's verbal description. What about printed documents, affidavits, anything else, drawings, anything that you were able to uncover during your research? Oh, my gosh. We have 55,000. You ought to see our, our house is not the average house, let me tell you. I am going to let Scott go into some specifics with that for you. Okay, so, yeah, let's have like Scott he, Ramsey now explain the physical documentation, 55,000 pieces of documentation, so that we go past just the remembrances and go into more of the evidence. Scott, tell us briefly, because we only have a segment and a half left for the show, the physical documents that help you point to the picture of what happened here? Well, as we published and put in the book, there's a lot of documents from both Air Force, the Air Force OSI, the FBI. There was a sting operation that uh, took place in Denver, Colorado, 1952, I believe, at the Edelweiss Bar, where they were trying to... Uh, interrupt us or have a sting operation and interrupt the sale of pictures from an, an individual to a Mr. Klein with the Baltimore uh, Sun paper, newspaper. This was information about Aztec? Yes, specifically in the report. Black and white photographs of a flying saucer from Aztec, recovered near Aztec, New Mexico. Those documents are in the book. Uh, at the end, the Air Force, Army, and FBI question because the gentleman trying opposing to sell the photographs when they approach him he didn't have any photographs on him and uh, he said he had just been kidding the reporter all along and he had no photographs and that he had been drunk <clears throat> the problem is you really think the Baltimore Sun Times would send a man all the way from Baltimore to Denver 
to pay $1,500, which was a lot of money back then, uh, for black and white photos of a UFO, flying saucer. Uh, we researched, uh, with the help of Joe Burris, one of the lead investigative reporters with the Baltimore Sun-Times, to find out there was no Klein, regardless of how you spell it, C-L-I-N-E or K-L-I-N-E, whatever, that worked for the Baltimore Sun-Times at that time. So now the question is, this gentleman appearing to be the reporter that was trying to buy the photos, who was he? And what kind of credentials did he show the FBI, Army Counterintelligence Division, and Air Force OSI that they let him walk right out of the bar back onto the street? So it, it, That's very an interesting uh, little twist. Yeah, it is. And uh, I, I, when I contacted uh, the Baltimore Sun, they said, well, you need to be talking with Joe Burris because he's an, our investigative reporter. And, you know, we went through personnel records and the whole bit. And there was one Klein throughout the years at work there, but he wrote about uh, arts and entertainment, and it wasn't even, he was there in the 70s, wasn't even there in the 50s. So that plot really thickens because not only, oh, and in the, in the report, the military says the man claimed he was drunk and did not have any photographs. I'm, I'm ad-libbing this. However, we do not believe him. In other words, they did not believe that he was just drunk. Uh, it looks like they thought that he was, in fact, trying to sell photographs of the flying saucer that landed or crashed near Aztec, New Mexico. But, that, yeah, Gene, there's a lot on this. You know, the, the book's only 224 pages with pictures and documents. I... I, I when we set the book up to write it, we tried not to bore the reader to death. Uh, but really, in reality, it could have been a book, four or five, six hundred pages. It all depends on how much you want to bore people to nauseam with documents. A lot of people, that's all they would buy the book for, to look at the supportive documents. And other people just want to read about a historical event that happened. So I, you know. Okay, but in the beyond of, the photograph that may or may not have existed. What other key documents are you including in the book or at least have available? A lot of great correspondence between Frank Scully and Silas Newton, uh, back and forth uh, correspondence between Frank Scully and Paul Smith, the editor of the San Francisco uh, uh, newspaper, uh, back and forth with uh, Scully and other people concerning the, the, the incident. We found out back in 2010 that all of Frank Scully's files are located at the University of Wyoming in Laramie. So a dear friend of mine, Mike Price, and I went out for seven days and went through as many documents as we could. We did not get to read them all. There's 33,000 documents. And it's his entire life, political career, books he wrote. But there's a huge amount on behind the flying saucers. So this was serious and research. It's not just somebody throwing a book together because he wanted to make a few dollars off UFOs. You're not ever going to make a few dollars writing, publishing a book on UFOs. <laughs> that, that's never going to happen. What other kind of evidence did you find amongst Scully's papers? At Laramie? I, no, just, just great correspondence we put in the book. You know, Frank Scully, you know, he said several times if he was duped, you know, he'd write the story on how he was duped on his own. When he, he took this to, to his death, two things. 
who who did the real Dr. G's were, he would never divulge, even to his family. Now, Dr. G was a composite. It wasn't yes, one person. Right. And we to have to give an example of this, which is, it's not unusual for people who write factual books to make composite characters. Even Obama did that in his autobiographies. Some of the mm-hmm. characters are composites because, I guess, the space involved. So maybe how many people would he be talking about here in a composite character? Eight to nine. Okay. So he, he creates in the book Dr. G, where he says Dr. G is a composite of eight to nine scientists. These and are nine scientists being the ones that are being referred to earlier. You'll answer that question in a moment. We have Scott and Suzanne Ramsey. You're on with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio, DreamHost.com radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Love gardening but don't love seeing your hard work destroyed by wildlife? Then use the number one most effective deer and rabbit repellent you can buy, PlantSkid. PlantSkid repellent protects gardens, trees, and landscaping by emitting an odor that browsing animals associate with predators. So animals avoid plants before they nibble, not after. PlantSkid is made in the U.S. from non-toxic, 100% organic, environment, and pet-friendly ingredients. Other repellents wash off in the rain. Not PlantSkid. It's guaranteed to outlast all other repellents. PlantSkid was the first animal repellent to be OMRI listed organic and now comes in liquid spray, powder concentrate, or easy-to-use granular. Just sprinkle around your garden. For proven protection from deer, rabbits, squirrels, and other small rodents, use PlantSkid. Member tested and recommended by the National Home Gardening Club. Find a dealer near you at PlantSkid.com. That's PlantSkydd.com. Ask about our new vole repellent when you call 800-252-6051. That's 800-252-6051. PlantSkid, proven plant protection, guaranteed or your money back. And now another CentOS Game Changer with sports broadcaster Aaron Andrews. I'm down in the main ballroom of a four-star hotel in Austin with Tom, the GM. Tom, you've had four wedding receptions in three days. That's a brutal schedule. Yeah, we've uh, been hustling. Well, your team still looks fresh, and I gotta say, the carpet does too. Talk about your game plan. Simple. We got on the all-star team from CentOS, and they changed our ground game completely. Zintas, they're known for uniforms. How do they tackle your floors? Their tile and carpet deep cleaning service makes our flooring look like new. Uh, with our old playbook, we used to rip out the carpet. So we're running with Cintas from now on. Thanks, Tom. And thanks to Cintas, there's plenty of life left in this dance floor. Let's go up to the booth. 
Tile and Carpet Cleaning is one of the many expert services the Cintas team can tackle for your business. Don't replace your tile or carpets. Call 1-800-CINTAS6 or visit Cintas.com slash radio and tell them to bring in the team with the white truck. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. Hi, this is nuclear physicist lecturer Stanton Friedman. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And by the way, Stan Friedman wrote the introduction to the book, written by Scott and Suzanne Ramsey. The Aztec Incident Recovery at Heart Canyon. And we were discussing the research that was done by the late Frank Scully into this. Now, how many documents does he actually have on this particular book? Did you get a sense? Is it tens of thousands of documents? Hundreds? What? Well, there's 33,000 documents in Frank Scully's collection. Um, could give you a pretty close count of what entails just the book behind the flying saucers. I copied, Mike Price and I copied over 800 of the 863 documents we brought back. That doesn't include photographs that we had scanned on disk, but actual hard letters, correspondence back and forth. And uh, yeah, yeah, Scully did a lot of incredible things throughout his career. I've got a lot of his books that he uh, had written. Some were big hits, some were not so great. Uh, he was a very popular guy, very very famous guy. But the, the fact that he would not divulge, even leading up to his death, who Dr. G was, because he was sworn to secrecy. He said he could cause these guys great harm. And, as, and we're talking about Dr. G being V9 scientists who were consulted yeah. about moving the object. Right. Okay. We did a lot of work all the way up till um, August of, of 2011. We went up to the University of Minnesota to go through their archives. Wonderful archive, by the way. And uh, some of the scientists we had an interest in, and, and, and this part of the book, as I state to the reader, is speculation. This is speculation on our part, after hearing throughout the book, uh, that Frank Scully wrote behind the flying saucers, he leaves hints as to their background. And I'll give you one quick example in the interest of time. He says uh, that these men were men of science. Well, what does that mean? Well, it turns out every year there's an award for the man of science. And uh, ironically, Dr. Jonathan Torrance Tate had received it in the year the years around Scully's statement about that. So we started looking at Tate's uh, biography and resume, 
and it started to fit the character in Scully's book. Uh, worked for the OSRD under Dr. Vandiver Bush, that type of thing. Uh, Dr. Otto Schmidt, also alumni from University of Minnesota at, uh, from the teaching side. And there's just an incredible composite of people that would have worked on the projects uh, during World War II, as Scully described in the book. So you can infer later, from what Scully wrote that these may have been the nine scientists who were consulted about this. Right. I, and if we're wrong, we're, we're not off by uh, many. In, in, in if As long as Scully's description are accurate, we, we should be right there. So I get the impression of incredible seriousness and diligence in this research. It's not just something that you threw together. Once again, and you guys have been spending all these years putting these documents together, trying to figure out what happened, and now we're in the speculative room because we don't have much time and we have to figure out where to go. So having done all this research, spent all this time, and I gather maybe you'll go somewhere else and doing your future research into a different project, but where can we take the Aztec case from here? There aren't going to be any witnesses to be found unless they live to be over 100. So where do we find a smoking gun, or can we ever find a smoking gun? I, that's good. That's the $64 question, I guess. Um, I, I, I firmly believe in the Four Corners area there, uh, there is at least one or two people still alive. Um, a lot of speculation behind what I just said, but I, I firmly believe there are. We were contacted by a gentleman, uh, 93 years old, uh, as we were literally waiting on the shipment of the books, and he asked if I would send him a copy. He wanted to read the book to see how accurate our research was. That's a pretty powerful statement. This particular person, do you know of his background? What was he? Army career. Okay. And I asked him, were you close to this case? And he said, I'll read your book, and I'll write your letter, and I'll grade it on how accurate it was, uh, where you fell short, and then we'll talk. And he said, at my age, um, I'd love to talk about it. It's not as if they could stop him. Well, I don't think he really cares at 93 what they're going to do. Just be lucky. And, or, you know, and it could sure. be a, an elderly man that's just off on a uh, having a, a, a wonderful day with his imagination. I don't know. But he took the time to write a really nice letter. Well, that also raises the question the skeptics are going to bring up, and we might as well touch that now. How do we know that with all this evidence you presented, remembrances from eyewitnesses or families of eyewitnesses, that some of these weren't just elderly women and gentlemen telling a story? Well, we've had some of those. But, but Gene, when you, when you sit down and before anything's out, before we had hit the lecture trail, if you want to call it that, we spoke at a couple of UFO gigs, but before we divulged to anyone what we knew, only Suzanne and I knew that, and, and a couple of people. Frank Warren was privy to some. Mike Price was privy to some. When you're talking to elderly men, whether they be in Phoenix or in Las Vegas, and they're telling the same story, and these guys, you know, it wasn't like two old-timers sitting on the park bench in downtown Aztec that could have coerced this story all these years. These guys are separated by miles. And in the case of Ken Farley, he never knew anybody in that area. 
he was the transient guy driving through that day. So when I'm interviewing him, and by the way, he only wanted to talk when it was very obvious that he was near death. He was in the stage four of emphysema and and did die eight months after we interviewed him. Um, And he said, look, you know, I I don't know who the other guys at the crash site were. All I know is I was with my buddy. We're on the western edge. We stayed away from everybody. They were doing stupid things, climbing on the craft. Uh... We were just in awe of what we were looking at. Our little adventure turned into a, a bigger adventure that day. But do you think the final evidence or proof will ever come out about Aztec or Roswell or any other possible early case involving UFOs or crashes? I don't. I don't think it will. Not in our lifetime. I'm 54 years of age. Um, started on this when I was in my 20s. I. I, I just don't see it happening. I don't see the government, especially in these trying times, to come forward and admit that, well, for 63 years or 64 years for Roswell, we've been telling the public a lie, regardless of whether it was for our, our own safety. And if we got the military technology, any kind of technology out of these craft, I wouldn't have told the public either, quite frankly. No possibility of a whistleblower. What about the President of the United States? This is one of the ongoing pieces of speculation. I'll just throw it out there. And that is, when the new president takes office, and we have another guy who thinks he or hopes he's going to take over in November. Say Romney becomes president, takes over in January of 2013. Is someone going to go to him and say, Mr. President, we've got to tell you something, but it can never leave the Oval Office? Or will they just ignore that because he's just another temporary guy and he'll be replaced? He's another temporary guy and he'll be replaced. Obama was going to have the most transparent presidency ever. And actually, Eric Holder has made it more difficult to get documents out of the archives than any other president since I've been working. So I've heard from Larry Bryant and other people who try to get government documents. Let me ask you, you, Scott Ramsey, please tell our listeners where they can get a copy of the book. www.theaztecincident.com And you can go on there with PayPal. Now that we have books, and I apologize to those that waited uh, two weeks because I was late, uh, we will ship your book out the day we get the order. It will go media rate unless you tell us differently, but it's theaztecincident.com. You're going to have an electronic version eventually? Yes, we, we already have it done. I, I just want to sell some more books before we put it and out. And that you'll put into iBooks or maybe to Amazon Kindle or yep. something like that. A special reminder, you can find us at... Thepowercast.com. Once again, thepowercast.com. Our forums at forum.thepowercast.com. Where else would they be? That's where you have cutting edge discussions on all aspects of the paranormal and lots of other things. And you can find us on Twitter. Send us a tweet to The Paracast. We are The Paracast on Twitter. And don't forget that Chris O'Brien's site, OurStrangePlanet.com, is being thoroughly redesigned. Our special thanks to Scott and Suzanne Ramsey for joining us this week on the Paracast. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.